Ephesians chapter 14. Charity, I'm going to ask you to run back here and get my notes. Somehow I left my notes back there again. I'll tell you what, changing things doesn't do well with me. I'm a creature of habit, so it's hard for me to get back into the routine. All right, we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. We're going to be starting at verse 33. And reading through the end of the chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, starting at verse 33. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 33, the Bible says, For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. As in all the churches of the saints, let your women keep silence in the churches, for it is not permitted unto them to speak, but they are commanded to be under obedience, as also saith the law. And if they will learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is a shame for women to speak in the church. What, came the word of God out from you, or came it unto you only? If any man think himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things that I write unto you are the commandments of the Lord. But if any man be ignorant, let him be ignorant. Wherefore, brethren, covet to prophesy, and forbid not to speak with tongues, Let all things be done decently and in order. Let's take a minute and pray, and then we'll look at this passage more in depth. Our Lord God and Father, we now look into your word, and we want you to teach us and to guide us to understand these things that you have for us today and to be able to apply them and obey them as you want us to. And so, Lord, we need your Holy Spirit to guide us, to help us to comprehend these things. And, Lord, open our hearts to receive them, Sometimes it's hard to hear the things from your word because it goes against the grain of society or popular opinion. And yet, Lord, you are absolute and your truth is absolute. And so, Lord, help us to follow you. Pray that you would work in us during this time and help us to submit ourselves to the authority of your message. Lord, use me as your instrument and your mouthpiece. And may you speak through me your truth to us that we might be challenged and that we might learn together as your Holy Spirit guides us and teaches us your truth. Lord, we want this time to honor you, and so we give it to you now. We give ourselves to you now. May you accomplish the work that you want to be done. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. We have been studying for a long time the New Testament church, and we've talked about leadership. And when we got to this issue of women, what is the role that women play in the church We started that last week, and we looked at the question of the differences and the similarities between men and women, and we know that God created us different. Remember, God not only created us differently, men and women, in the mode of creation. Remember, he took dust from the ground and created Adam and breathed into him the breath of life, but then he took a rib from Adam to create Eve. So there was a little difference in the mode of creation But he also created us differently. And I said, if you don't understand how God created us differently, go look in the mirror, okay? Men are created different from women. We look different. We function different. We act different. Emotions are different, okay? There's a lot of physical and physiological differences. So God did create men and women different from each other. And in that difference, and even in the order of creation, 
and in the, the creation of man and woman, we see that God has created men and women for different roles. It doesn't mean that men are more important or that women are less important or that men are more valuable and women are less valuable. In God's eyes, we are equal. We are standing before him as human beings made in his image. And so we are equal as far as our standing before God, but God has given us different functions and roles in the earth. And you see that right away in Genesis. Now, after the fall, remember, God cursed the ground, cursed Satan, cursed Eve and Adam as well. And part of that curse was that Eve would strive to usurp the rule or the authority of her husband. And then the husband then would take that authority and try to dominate his wife. So that was the distortion of those roles that God had given them. But in the roles that God gave Adam and Eve right away, Adam was first, and Adam was to lead, and Eve was second, and Eve was to support. The Bible says he made, God made Adam a help meet for him. That means she was there to support him. And the meat part of it, you know, the, the word meat, M-E-E-T, was talking about she was perfect correspondence to all of Adam's characteristics. She, the word in, in the Hebrew that means meat means counterpart. So again, God shows that difference in the functions and the roles, okay? So we understand that, and we give, get all of that information as a foundation then to look forward into how should women function and what should their roles be within the church of God. And we have to ask these questions now about um, how women should function as we gather together in worship. What are their roles? And as far as official positions of leadership in the church, where do they fit in? And so this passage this morning that we read begins that discussion. And unfortunately, we're not going to be able to finish it because there's just too much. Okay, But we'll do our best to get through at least the beginning of this discussion. What are women's roles within the church of God? Now, 1 Corinthians 14, Paul is talking here in the context of spiritual gifts. That's what chapter 12 is all about. He talks all about spiritual gifts in chapter 12. Then in chapter 13, remember, that is the love chapter. Okay, That is how we conduct ourselves in true Christian love. And he basically defines what love is, and he describes the characteristics of it. And it's all in the context of us interacting with each other in performing or carrying out our spiritual gifts. Now, he gets to chapter 14, and in chapter 14, he focuses specifically on prophecy and tongues for quite a while because the Corinthian church was abusing them. And in that abuse, I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about tongues and prophecy because we've already discussed that in the past, but in that context, then, he gets down to verse 33, and he starts this section in verse 33, and he says, For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. Now, that's an important principle. We do not need to be confused or have division among each other about questions about how we should operate within the church. God has given us all the substance in his word to answer those questions. We just need to be open to accept what God tells us about his answers to these kinds of questions. And so he says, God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. As in all the churches of the saints, let your women keep silence in the churches. Now, you probably said, well, wait a minute, there's a period there. If you have a King James version or an NIV, there's a period at the end of verse 33. 
But actually, in the Greek grammatical structure, there shouldn't be a period there. There should be a period after God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. That's the end of that thought. The next thought goes with verse 34. Okay? Because... Paul's saying, here's the rule that we are to follow as we conduct ourselves in the church of God. As in all the churches of the saints, let your women keep silence in the churches, for it is not permitted to them to speak. But they are commanded to be under obedience, as also saith the law. And if they will learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is a shame for women to speak in the church. Now, I'm going to stop there, and we're going to talk about this section for a little while. Okay? The reason he's addressing women, again, we go back to the Corinthian church. And in the Corinthian church, they had a serious problem. Now, they weren't the only ones that had problems, but Paul's addressing their church specifically. What would happen with the epistles that is Paul, Peter, but mainly Paul, he would write to the churches and they would read them at the church to correct errors or to, to understand certain bits of theology that weren't quite clear to them. And then they would take that letter and they would pass it on to other churches. And that's how we came to have these letters to the churches as part of our Bible. Because the New Testament church as a whole has accepted these as God's word to them. So Paul was speaking under inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So these are God's words to all churches, not just to the Corinthian church. All right, but the command itself here in verse 34, it says women are to be silent in the church and they are not permitted to speak. Let's look at that command because I want to make sure we understand that. Some people take that to the extreme and they say, well, women aren't allowed to speak once they enter the door until they go out the door. That's not exactly what it's talking about. Okay, again, we have to put it in context. The word silence, that they should learn in silence or to be in silence in the church, means to hold their peace. It's the, the Greek word, sagao. Okay, it means to hold your peace. Now, if you tell somebody, hold your peace, or calm down, what are you saying? All right, be quiet, let's, let's relax here. Okay, but to hold your peace may, basically means to be quiet, to stop speaking and listen for a little bit. Okay, we tell our kids that, not necessarily hold your peace, but calm down, okay, settle down. And that's basically what Paul is saying here. Women are to hold their peace, to not speak, to listen. All right, then he says they're not permitted to speak. Now, if we, again, again, if we take that command on its face value, the way it looks, then we have to say, well, women can't talk at all in church. Again, that's not what Paul's saying. The word in Greek is laet, I'm sorry, laleo, and it means to talk or to utter words, well, speech. But again, we have to look at the context, Okay. The context is not that women are never allowed to talk while at church. Remember, Paul in this context of chapter 12, 13, 14 is talking about how we are to conduct ourselves within the context of public worship gatherings, the assembly of the church, like we're doing right now. Okay? The Corinthians were abusing that, and in their Christian liberty, they basically were saying, well, we can throw everything else out, and now we're free to do whatever we want. And remember, in chapter 12, they were basically fighting over who was going to be up front leading and speaking, and everybody wanted to be prophets, and everybody wanted to speak in tongues, and they basically were shouting over each other to become more prominent than the next person, and it was total confusion. And that's why Paul starts this, and he says, God is not the author of confusion. Okay? So he says, there's an order here that we have to understand. 
And this is in the context of the public worship and teaching of Scripture in the church assembly. So when he says they're not ever allowed to talk in church, he doesn't mean as you come in the door, you have to be quiet, and, as you, and after you leave, then you can start talking again. He's talking about publicly proclaiming God's word, and in this context, it's prophecy, which is also preaching, that it would include preaching, or tongues, which is basically preaching in a different language, okay, in the congregation. So here's our first command as far as women's roles in the church, and I'm going to focus on this today just so we understand it. The women are to be silent in the church, and they're not permitted to speak. The command, then, is women should not stand up and lead the congregation in worship by teaching. Okay? That's what Paul's talking about here. Now, in that command, that would then exclude them from being elders. Because an elder, one of their qualifications is apt to teach. They must be able to teach. In fact, the main function, or one of the main functions of elders and pastors in the church is to teach the word of God and leading the congregation in worship. What we're doing now is not just learning. This is worshiping the Lord because we're giving him our, our attention as we look at his word. We're giving him our submission as we submit to the, his authority in our lives. So all of that is part of worship. So when Paul says women are not allowed to speak in the church. He's not saying you can't speak at all. He's saying, basically, here's the substance of what a woman should not do. They should not be elders or pastors and stand up and teach and lead the congregation in worship. Okay? That's the context of the message. Now, let's go back to verse 35. Because I want to look at verse 35. He says, if they will learn anything... Let them ask their husbands at home, for it's a shame for women to speak in the church. So Paul says here, if a woman wants to learn or have her questions answered, she should ask her husband at home. But again, let's talk about the context here, okay? In the context of public worship, he's just established, and we've seen this as we studied elders and deacons, but we've, especially elders, we've seen that men are to be the leaders in the church, okay? They are to lead the worshiping and the teaching, And he basically is saying women should not be interrupting or causing confusion by asking questions or challenging the speaker. Okay? They are to ask their husbands when they get home. So, again, the Corinthian church had this problem, and probably some other churches may have had this issue as well, and I'll show you that, where women in their Christian liberty, well, you know, I can speak, and I can ask questions, and I can interrupt, and I can preach, and I can prophesy, and so nobody's going to tell me otherwise. See, the problem we have with that attitude is it's a lack of submission. Now, we're all supposed to be submissive. We're supposed to be submissive to one another. We're supposed to be submissive to the authority of God's word and to his rule in our lives. And especially as we conduct ourselves within the church and within the congregation of God, we have to do what God tells us the way it should be done and with the attitude that God wants us to worship him in. All right? So when he comes here and he says that women should not speak, they should ask their questions of their husbands at home, again, he's trying to avoid a problem where the women are then leading or speaking out in leadership or causing disruption within this, the assembly and the service. Okay? Now, you have to remember, the, the entire command is in the context of the authority within the formal public worship and worship service of the congregation. And that's why Paul says, ask your husbands at home. Let me help you think about this for a minute. 
We go, well, you know, why, why is it at home? Why, why can't she ask him at church? You know, she's not necessarily blurting out and interrupting the pastor or the teacher, but why does she have to wait till she's at home? Well, here's the reasons. First of all, because wives, your husbands are your primary authority. I mean, that's been, been established. In Genesis, that's established. If we go to Ephesians chapter 5, it's talk, it talks about women submit yourselves to your husbands, or wives submit yourselves to your husbands. So your husband is your primary authority. Okay, So God wants you in learning and in finding out your questions to go to your first authority first. That's just common sense if we think about it. If we regard wives, if, if you regard your husbands as your first authority, except for God, obviously, then he should be the source to answer your questions first. Now, he's not going to have all the answers, but you should go to him first because that shows your submission to him. Second, by asking him first, it encourages him to fulfill his biblical role of leading in the home because if he doesn't know the answer, now he has to go find it. Lots of husbands want to, want to just kind of shirk their responsibility in leading their home by saying, you know what, I don't know that, you know, go ask somebody else. That's not the way it's supposed to be. The husband is supposed to set the example. Now, I'm not saying the husband is the only one that can teach his wife, but he should be a primary role model and example in her life if he's leading her correctly, biblically. And so when she asks him, it kind of puts the onus on him to take the responsibility to lead her in truth and in love. He has to find the answers, okay? That's second. Number third, if a woman asks questions and challenges teaching in public then basically she is at least embarrassing her husband. At worst, she's bypassing her husband's authority in her life and actually can demean him in the eyes of everybody else because now she's publicly proclaiming that he's not doing his job, in a sense. So Paul says there's an authority structure that we need to keep in mind when we look at all of these things and look at the maybe even unintended consequences of violating these rules and so if the husband is supposed to lead at home, why should he not lead at church and lead his wife at church in helping her be the first or him be the first authority in her life, even in her biblical learning? Okay, so all of that is wrapped up into this command that God has given us here. Women, ask your husbands at home. Now, you, you can go have a private conversation between your, your husband and your wife at, in the back of the church or in another room or even in your pew or whatever, okay? The point is you're not to make a public disruption and publicly ask this question because my husband doesn't know, so I'm going to ask you, okay? Now, this command is not specific to all situations. Now, the principle would be a good one to apply, our husbands, wives, are the first authority in your life. So go to them first. That shows that you're submitting to his authority. That gives him kind of a, an encouragement to fulfill his role as the leader in the home. But there are instances where, there are lots of instances where a wife or a woman can speak in the church. It's not an absolute prohibition from women speaking. Again, we're talking about the formal worship of the congregation in a, in a situation like this. Now, we have Bible studies on Wednesday nights, and that is a little in, more informal. And I stepped down on the floor here 
and I teach from the floor. We're all kind of at the same level, and I ask a lot of questions. And so there's interaction. And so there's opportunity in that learning situation for answering and for, for uh, input and for asking questions. So that's more of a discussion type period. We're still learning together, but it's not formal worship necessarily like we are doing today. Okay? So this is really tricky, and you have to really pray about it, and I have for quite a long time, but as far as the formal worship and teaching of God's word in a situation like this, it basically says, women, you're not to speak, so they can't lead in teaching, and then don't disrupt the service with questions or by putting down your husband because he doesn't know anything and is not doing his job. So all of that is kind of in, in tight, or, uh, encompassed in this command. Now, I want to look at the principle behind the command, because the principle is the important part. It's one thing, and, and I think a lot of families, especially in the generations that I grew up in, a lot of parents were guilty of telling your kids, do this and don't do this. And the kids would go, why? And you say, because I said so. I'm the authority, and you must obey me. Okay, well, that's true, right? But as the kids get older, if they have no substance or principle behind the reason why they're doing things, what do you think is going to happen to them when they get out on their own? They're going to go, well, this doesn't make any sense anymore. I'm not in my parents' home. I don't care. So I'm going to do what I want. See, it was their parents' standard, not their own, because they had no reason to do it. The only reason they did it is because they lived with their parents, and their parents wanted them to do it. We need a reason. And so Paul gives us the reason or the principles behind it. And here's the principle behind this command, basically, is that women are not to lead in authority over men. If you look at the next section here, at verse 34, he says, They are commanded to be under obedience, as also saith the law. Now, we looked at that last week in Genesis chapter, three, or Genesis chapter 2 and 3. Women are to be in submission to their husbands. Ephesians 5 teaches the same thing. And it's the same principle that Paul has already taught the Corinthians in chapter 11. And if you want to turn back a page or two, I'm not going to read the entire chapter. But I want to show you some things here. Now, the first part of chapter 11 of 1 Corinthians, Paul's talking about head coverings for women. Now, that's a totally different conversation, but not really. And without reading it, let me give you the summary The whole point of head coverings is to demonstrate that the woman is in submission to her husband. That's what it symbolized. In the Jewish culture, women wore shawls. And when they would come into the synagogue, they would put the shawl over their head. Married women would. So that people would know they were in submission and it was a covering or an authority over her head. That's what it symbolized. So that's what the head covering was. It was a demonstration that they were in submission to the authority of their husbands that was over their head. But if you look at verse 8, in the middle of this conversation, Paul says this, For the man is not of the woman, but the woman of the man. Neither was the man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. Okay, So we have, again, this principle of submission of wives to their husbands. And... He continues talking about that all through this passage. Now jump back to verse 3 because here's the real foundation of all of that. Verse 3 in chapter 11 says, But I would have you know, this is important, so Paul says, I want you to know this, it's very important for you to understand this, 
that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. So it's extremely clear. Right here, Paul spells it out without question what the authority structure looks like. Now, because the man, again, is the authority in the home, because of the curse of sin, man wants to then dominate his wife. She becomes a slave and a servant. And again, we talked about this last week. Ephesians 5 says, husbands, love your wives. It doesn't say dominate them. It doesn't say treat them like a slave. And see, here's the balance where a husband is supposed to lead his wife in love as Christ led the church. What did Christ do so that we could be in the church and so that we can remain as his church and have all the benefits of being part of his body? He gave up everything that he was and that he had and literally gave up his life so that we could gain everything. And there's the example for husbands as far as loving and leading our wives. So husbands are supposed to lead in the example of loving service. But we have to lead. And here it says very clearly, the the authority structure, man is the authority of woman. Christ is the authority of man. And God is over Christ. Now it doesn't mean Christ was not God. It just means in Christ's position on earth, as our Savior, he, he always deferred to God. He came to do God's will, okay? And that's how we should respond to each other, in that submission. So Paul very clearly gives us this authority structure here, and he says, here is the reason why I give you this command about women not speaking in church or not taking the role in publicly leading and taking authority over men in teaching them. Because there's authority structure that has to be maintained. It starts at creation. And as I said last week, a lot of people want to tell you that, well, that didn't happen until the fall. Sorry, I'm going to show you a passage that debunks that, okay? The authority structure started at creation, not at sin, okay? Now, here's the question. A note on women's submission. A woman will always be under the authority of man on this earth if they follow the biblical principles that God established for them. While they're young and unmarried, the woman is obviously under the authority of her father. Okay, He is her authority at home. When they get married, they are now under the authority of their husband. Those are the only two situations that the Bible gives us. There is not a situation described in Scripture where a woman who is older and gone out on her own now is her own authority. You're not going to find it. Okay, if you go back into the Jewish tradition, women basically stayed in their homes until they got married. And so their father was their authority. In fact, if a Jewish woman got married and then she got divorced or her husband died, The Talmud taught that the women then reverted back under their father's authority. So there was never a time all through Jewish history and in the Old Testament, in fact, that a woman woman did not have some kind of authority over her. That is a modern-day idea that has come about because of the women's lib movement. Okay, And it started because people wanted to rebel against this. And God told us it was going to happen. Genesis chapter 3, right? The curse is... 
the woman's going to want to rebel against the authority over her. That's what God said was going to happen. So it doesn't, it doesn't um, put a woman in a situation of uh, oppression necessarily because, again, if her, if her authority, her father or her husband is leading correctly, then she should have everything she needs. And there's a lot of freedom in that, and in fact, there's a lot of blessing in that. But that's the biblical idea that Paul is talking about here, where there's always an authority structure over a woman, either through her father or through her husband. Now, so God's plan for women was always to be under spiritual authority of her man, in either her father or her husband. And this is why traditionally, in a wedding ceremony, and this started in the Jewish culture way back when, when the bride and the father are standing at the front, the pastor says, who gives this woman to be married to this man? And at that point, the father is passing his authority and his, uh, his authority over his daughter to the groom. Now, when I married my daughters and I stood there, and some of you may have been here for Jessica's wedding, Jessica and Brandon, and I came up here and I said, who gives this woman to be married to this man? And I ran down and I said, I do. And then in the wedding ceremony, I made it a point to, to make sure that we understood I am passing my authority as a father to her husband because he is now her authority. That's the biblical model. And that's the foundation behind all of these commands in Scripture that we're looking at as far as women in the church. Okay? So Paul is talking about authority here and submission to authority. And anybody who wants to rebel against that, well, then we have a problem. Now, I want you to go to 1 Timothy chapter 2 because this command is repeated there. And we want to look at that to explain it even more because Paul gives us some more instruction in 1 Timothy chapter 2. The command is almost exactly the same. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 11 through 15, 1 Timothy 2, starting at verse 11, he says, Let the woman learn in silence with all subjection. Okay, there's the command again. Let the woman learn in silence, and there's the idea of submission or subjection. But I suffer not a woman to teach, nor to usurp authority over a man, but to be in silence. Same word that we saw in 1 Corinthians 14. So Paul repeats this command to Timothy while instructing him how Christians ought to conduct ourselves within the congregation of the church. He says, let the woman learn in silence with subjection, submission to her authority. And again, the command is based on God's hierarchy of authority in the family between the man and the woman. And then verse 12, he elaborates and he says, a woman cannot teach or usurp authority over a man but be in silence. So the reason she can't stand up and teach is because of this principle of authority and submission that God has established. Okay? So there's the foundation. And a lot of people will say, well, you know, that command was just given to the church of Corinth because they had such a problem with this. Timothy was the pastor in Ephesus. There was no indication they had a serious problem with this in Ephesus. But Paul's giving the same instruction to Timothy. And as we saw in 1 Corinthians 14, that phrase, as it is in all the churches of the saints, Paul's just repeating it here. And we have it repeated twice in Scripture for us because God wants us to understand this is how it's supposed to be in all the churches of the saints. Now, the foundation of the command, he goes on in 1 Timothy after verse 12. And in verse 13, he says, here's why. 
For Adam was first formed, then Eve. Now, there's our indication this has nothing to do with the curse. This was established at creation. And God established this pattern of authority in the order in which he created Adam and Eve. And she was made for him. We saw that in the last passage. Okay? So Adam was formed first, then Eve. But then verse 14, he goes on, and he explains a little more. He says, when Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. So Adam was not deceived. Remember, who was the first one to sin? Eve. And she was deceived, or she was deceived by the serpent, and that's what caused her to sin. Now, here's the question that's been posed by commentators, and I ha- you have to think about it. Was Eve with Adam when this happened? so that Adam could have helped her through it? Or was she out on her own doing what she wanted and and the, the serpent came up and started tempting her because she was outside of her authority or away from her authority at that point and he knew that's when she was at her weakest. And he deceived her into thinking that what he said was right over what Adam told her God had said. You see the problem with the authority structure here? So I think one thing that contributed to Adam's or to Eve's sin in that she was deceived is that she was out from under the authority that God had given her. She was winging it on her own. And remember when the serpent asked her, she didn't repeat, and we don't know exactly, but we know what the Bible says. God told them they should not eat it. What did Eve say? Well, God said we shouldn't eat it or we touch it lest we die. Okay? So there's a big debate. Did she add to God's words? Did she not? Do we know exactly what God said? Well, God told us what he said. It says, don't eat it. That was his command. She at least embellished it or added something to it. And again, we we see this deception happening because she's not under the authority that she's supposed to in God's command. Okay, then in verse 14, he goes on that Adam then sinned afterwards. Okay, so Eve sinned first, Adam sinned, but he wasn't deceived, he sinned willfully. So if we go back to the the passage in Genesis chapter 3, basically Eve sins, then she turns and she goes, finds Adam, and she says, hey, you've got to try this because this is really good. And guess what? We're not going to die. I'm not dead. Now, I know I'm paraphrasing this, okay? That's not all in Scripture. But that's what we can kind of imagine happened. And Adam saw that she had sinned, and so he took and followed her example. You see the reversal of the roles here? He wasn't leading, he was following. And so we have this huge breakdown of God's structure of authority right here at the first sin in the Garden of Eden. They abandoned their roles, completely reversed the roles, and look where it ended up. That's why God says there's an authority structure we should follow because that's what brings the best results. That's what brings God's blessing. So both Adam and Eve violated their biblical roles of authority in committing the first sin. And when we go outside of this plan of authority, either within the family or within the church, the result will end up in sin. 
That's just a matter of fact. Now, I shared with you last week Isaiah chapter 3. And Isaiah chapter 3 goes in very deep discussion about God's judgment on Israel in how he let children and women lead the nation. And then immediately he says, and your leaders are leading you into sin. And because you're letting them lead and because you're following that sinful example, I'm going to judge you even more. And so the pattern is very clear that any time that we abandon God's structure of authority, the result is God's judgment. And as long as we continue to perpetuate that, God will continue to judge his people. Now, just as an example, look how many false religions have been started by women. I'm not saying all of them, but look how many have been started by women. Okay? It's just a symbol of what God's saying here. Women were not created to be the leaders, especially in the church. They are to be in submission to their authority. Now, verse 15 in 1 Timothy 2, he goes on and he says, She shall be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith and charity and holiness with sobriety. Now, this has been probably one of the most debated and difficult passages in Scripture to interpret correctly. And as I studied this and looked at different commentators and listened to different pastors and, and tried to figure this out, okay, I don't have it down perfectly. And this may be one of those things that we're not going to really get the whole gist of until we get to heaven and God says, this is what it means. And we go, oh, yeah, how come we didn't see that? Okay, but here's what I've come to, okay? Obviously, it's not saying that women are saved spiritually from sin by having children, all right? Um, if that was the case, my wife would be perfect, now, she's close to it, okay? But she still needs Christ as much as I do. Childbearing does not save spiritually a woman from her sin. So this is what I believe it means. And I'm going to give you a couple different commentators' ideas on this. Some say it means that since it was woman who led the human race into sin that through having and bringing up children in godliness, and you have to look at the second part of the verse where it says, if they continue in faith and charity and holiness with sobriety, that can refer either to the women or the children, or both. But if she has children and brings them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord so that they become followers of Christ as she is a follower of Christ, it in a sense negates part of the curse or the guilt that comes upon woman because it was Eve who plunged human race into sin initially. Now, Eve wasn't named as the, the progenitor of sin in the world. That was Adam because he represented the human race in his authority. So Adam is at fault for all of us, but Eve was the first one to sin. And so um, or Paul here telling Timothy, he's explaining this, and he says, through, through having children and raising them to be godly children, we negate the curse a little bit here, and they kind of redeem themselves, women do, by bringing into the world a godly heritage that counteracts the effects of sin and the curse. Okay? Another interpretation, and this is just as valid, is that during this time there was a false teaching that was going around, came out of false religions, that... Women, if they had any kind of physical relationships with man, they were condemned and they couldn't be saved. So there were many women, and, and some of this, 
spilled over into the later centuries, and that's why we have convents where you know, women go into the convent and they marry themselves to the Catholic Church, and that's their husband, and they never have any physical relations with anyone. They remain virgins their entire life. But it started, or didn't start here, but it was prevalent here. And so maybe what Paul is saying here is if you have children, obviously there are things that have to happen in order for you to have children, which many people think are wrong and sinful, but God has ordained them as part of the marriage relationship so that children can be born into your family. You're not going to lose your salvation. You're not going to condemn yourself to hell for all eternity. Okay? Regardless of how you look at this first, Paul is trying to encourage women. It's not a condemnation, okay? And I want you to understand that all of what Paul's instructing us here is not a condemnation of women. Because last week we saw how Christ and his teaching uplifted and elevated women to a position of, of status and of value and of uh, um, respect that they had never had, basically, in the history of the world until this time. And so Paul's encouraging women here. And he's saying there's good that can come out of this as you submit yourselves to God's authority structure. Now, again, this is the principles that God has given us. And this all is the support behind this command, women are not supposed to lead as elders and teach in the church. Okay? And we have all of this substance that he gives us in 1 Corinthians 14 and 1 Timothy chapter 2. Now again, one more time I want to point out, this is not restricted to a specific church. There are many people who say, well, it's a cultural thing, it doesn't apply to us because our society is different. Yeah, our society surely is different. Okay? Look at not just how women are treated, but what women want to be. They don't even want to be women anymore. They don't want to even define the differences, physical differences between men and women. I think at last count, someone has said there's probably close to 80 or 90 different gender descriptions now. There's two in in, uh, Genesis chapter 1 and 2. Okay, that's enough. That's all we need. But our society has completely abandoned God's truth as the absolute that they follow. And so it's no wonder that we are where we are in our society as far as coming to this principle and going, well, that's sexist and that's male chauvinist talking here. No, actually, it's not male chauvinism. This is God elevating women in their status and in their respect and in their value before men. But he's saying there's all kinds of benefits here, but you have to maintain the roles and functions that I've given you. You are equal before God in status and value We are all created in his image, but God made us different for different functions and roles. And this is one of them. And he says in verse 33, going back to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, he says in verse 33, this is common in all the churches. So it wasn't specific to a culture. It wasn't specific to a church. It wasn't specific to a time frame. It applies to all churches through all time, and that means it applies to us now. And then he supports this in verse 36. Jump down to verse 36 in 1 Corinthians 14. He says, what? He's admonishing the Corinthians. What? Came the word of God out from you or came it, to you, came it to, unto you only? Now, the Corinthians basically were making their own rules, and they were claiming Christian liberty. Remember, Paul had to give them a big exposition about Christian liberty in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 
And so they're claiming Christian liberty. We can do this because we're free in Christ. And you hear that so often today, and it becomes an excuse to abandon what God wants, and that's what happened here. And he's saying, what came the word of God out from you? Do you think that God has given you some new revelation that contradicts what we've already known for generations? All of a sudden, God changed his mind about the authority structure of the home and the church. And then he goes on, he says, or came it to you only? He's saying to the Corinthians, so you think you're the only ones with the correct revelation? And so you can do what you want because you're claiming God's in it? So he's condemning them because they've abandoned the truth that has been taught since creation up to that point that is now applied in the church in this way. But look at verse 37 and 38. If any man think himself to be a prophet or spiritual, remember he's talking about prophecy and tongues, and so he says, if you think you're a prophet, somebody who proclaims the word of God, and if you think you are spiritual or are exercising your spiritual gifts correctly in influencing people and edifying people, he says, then let him acknowledge that the things I write to you are what? The commandments of the Lord. It's not Paul's opinion. It's not just a suggestion. He says these are commandments from God. And if we're to operate within the church correctly, we have to follow God. In verse 38, here's the opposite. If you're not going to follow what God says, if you want to be ignorant, then we'll let you be ignorant. So it's not a different opinion. It's either God's way or the wrong way. And this is God's way. So whether you think this is just a cultural command or it was just one church that had a problem with women or that it was just applicable to one time frame or one type of society that has changed today and so we don't have to follow this, this is God's command. Paul says that. It applies to us just as much as it did to them. And therefore, we must obey it. Now, it sounds like, if we put all this together, that it's all negative. Women can't do this. Women can't. Women can't. No, actually, there's only one women can't. Women can't teach as an elder, okay? They can't be elders. They can't stand up and lead public services of worship by teaching. But there's a positive here. And very quickly, as we finish up, I want to show you this positive. If you go back, we're still in 1 Corinthians, I'm not, 1 Corinthians 14. Let's stay there, okay? Uh, verse 35, Paul says this, if they will learn anything. That's a huge phrase that I think we overlook. And if you hear last week, you remember where women were held in such contempt that they were not allowed to learn or get an education. So Paul's not saying, women, we're going to stomp on you and keep you down in church. He's saying, you know what? You now have an opportunity for something that was never available to you before, to learn with the men, to learn the truths of God directly, to be taught scripture. They didn't have that opportunity before. And so Paul says, if you're going to learn, you have this opportunity. Here's the great positive. You don't have to assert your authority and assert your Christian liberty to lead 
If you submissively take the role and function that God has given you, now you have this great opportunity to learn something you never would have before. And this is the great benefit to women in the church of God that Christ has brought to us, where Christ raised the value and status of women, and now that they were able to learn. Now remember, in the Torah, I'm sorry, not in the Torah, um, the men who, who learned the Torah and who would pray every morning, one of the prayers they would make was, God, I'm thankful you didn't make me a heathen, a slave, or a woman. And there are rabbis that are quoted as saying, you know, I would rather burn the Torah than teach it to a woman. And this was in Christ's day that these attitudes were still very prevalent. And so this is a huge blessing. It's not a stomping down of women. This is a blessing. It's an elevation for them. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, it also says the same thing. You know, Paul gives this blessing. And where he talks about women, he says, let the women learn in silence. In verse 11, let the women learn. He's, he's giving permission to women to learn. And he's actually saying, don't forbid them from learning. Let them learn. But they have to do it within the authority structure that God has given us. So here's the great positive out of all this. Women have the opportunity to learn that they never had before. And they can understand this stuff that men had kept them from for centuries. And God has said, basically, you can be recipients of my word just like men are. So that's the positive part of this, is that women were elevated. And so here we have the women opportunity for women to learn and then the second part of the command, ask your questions of your husbands at home, that's also new. Because women were not allowed to question their husbands on anything in Jewish society or any society. They were property. They had to do what their husband said, and that was it. So God has given them the opportunity to learn, but also now to ask questions of their husbands. See, there's huge positives if you look at it from God's perspective and you look at it in the context of the, the history of the church. Okay? So Christ is giving us this raising of the bar in how women were to be treated and respected, both in the home and in the church through this command. But the substance of it, the foundation of it, is understanding it all starts with this principle of the roles of authority within the home and within the church. The men, the husbands, are the authority. They are to lead in love. An elder, a pastor, should do that very thing as he leads the congregation. He leads in love as a servant. And the women, they have a great opportunity to learn and ask questions, but they have to do it within the godly role that God gave them. Submission to the authority that God has put over them. So what we've seen so far in what women's role should be in the church is this one negative, but it comes with great positives. They are not allowed to use authority over men in teaching and leading the church, and therefore they can't be elders or pastors. But again, you can't look at that negative without the positives that come with it. So I'm going to stop there because there's a whole lot more positives that are going to come as we look at how women functioned in the New Testament church next week. But we have to start and stay with this foundation of God's authority structure. Okay? So next week we'll look at all the positives of what roles and ministries are appropriate for women to fulfill within the church, staying within God's authority structure for the family and church. All right, let's have a word of prayer. We'll close there. And we'll, we'll hopefully see what next week brings for us from God's word. 
Lord, again, we thank you for your truth, and we know that sometimes it's hard to understand and hard to apply, especially in the society and in the, the humanistic mindset that pervades our culture today. And Lord, this is, feels abrasive almost, and yet we have to submit ourselves to your truth. But we cannot ignore this aspect of love that you love us and you want what's best for us. So help us to see how in love this benefits all of us. It's not repressing women, it's not condemning them, it's not devaluing them, but it raises them to a level of respect. It gives them a proper uh, framework for functioning in the church and at home. And so, Lord, just help us to learn, help us to obey, and I pray that we would conform ourselves and be transformed by the renewing of your word in our lives. Lord, just go with us now. I pray that your blessing would be upon us, that you would protect us, and just bring us back together according to your will and according to your way. We just praise you again for your goodness to us, and we thank you and pray all these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Thank you. You are dismissed. Amen. Four or five or four.